to the Writing Time Podcast. I'm Blake Guthrie from the University of North Florida, and I'm here today to finish our journeys through the collected works of Samuel Beckett and Anton Chekhov. Now, of course, there's so much more that we didn't cover. There's easily 10 pages in the collected shorts, or 10 pages, 10 stories in the collected short stories of Chekhov alone that we skipped over. There's many plays we didn't quite hit. There's letters. There's so much more material, but for our purposes, this examination is coming to a close. I'd like to look at this week one of Chekhov's short stories, Gooseberries, in which I want to hone in on a rather esoteric moment from the story because I don't think anyone has quite developed this connection. The story, Gooseberries, moves through some characters who are relatively unhappy, as is the theme with Chekhov and Beckett, and who are, in this case, in search of gooseberries, as the title suggests. And a quick aside, in last week's episode, I was discussing the relationship that I was seeing between Crap's Last Tape and Happy Days, both of Beckett's plays, and in one of the sections that I read, Crap's lost lover, Bianca, has a scratch on her thigh that that Crap notices, and Crap asks Bianca how she got it, to which she replies, picking gooseberries. And what's interesting about that is the diction, or the syntax, rather, that is is in that passage. It's goose picking gooseberries, she said, as though there's some kind of hinted infidelity there. And I, I've never had gooseberries. I don't know what they taste like. I, quite frankly, don't know what the plant looks like, despite being a quasi-botanist. I should know, but I don't. But that's besides the point. This story by Chekhov moves through all of these these themes, and around roughly halfway through the story, there's some considerations on happiness that come to the fore. And I'm just going to read. Everything is quiet and peaceful, and nothing protests but the mute statistics. So many people gone out of their minds, so many gallons of vodka drunk, so many children dead from malnutrition. And this order of things is evidently necessary. Evidently, the happy man only feels at ease because the unhappy bear their burdens in silence. And without that silence, happiness would be impossible. It's a case of general hypnotism. There ought to be, behind the door of every happy, contented man, someone standing with a hammer, continually reminding him with a tap that there are unhappy people, that however happy he may be, life will show him her laws sooner or later. Trouble will come for him. Disease, poverty, losses and no one will see or hear, just as now he neither sees nor hears others. But there is no man with a hammer. The happy man lives at his ease, and trivial daily cares faintly agitate him like the wind in the aspen tree, and all goes well. So, this section here, th this it has some relations of of silence to happiness and unhappiness. There's a discussion of hypnotism. And then 
the key insight for me here is the idea of happiness being checked by someone with a hammer. There's a potential relation to Nietzsche here, his book Twilight of the Idols or How to Philosophize with a Hammer. The idea is that, only glancingly mentioned, life will assert her laws implying a feminine cosmos and God. So there's a lot packed into this tiny little section. I highlighted this because of the hammer, Nietzsche's hammer. We know historically that Chekhov was aware of Nietzsche. That much is true. How much he was aware of Nietzsche, that's unclear, and whether or not Twilight of the Idols was published in Russian or whether or not Chekhov knew German well enough to read it in its native language is its own inquiry. But if we gloss those over and assume, for the sake of argument, that Nietzsche has been read by Chekhov, then philosophizing with a hammer, the idea of getting rid of the idols of, of the past, would make a lot of sense because someone like Chekhov doesn't follow the traditional idyllic road of the of the novelist. He doesn't live up to Tolstoy or to Dostoevsky in their tomes. He just writes short stories and plays and letters. But there's there's more to say on that, but there, there's also a lot more in this story that I'd like to, to talk about. And the character Ivan Ivanovich, he, he responds to what we just read about but I, before we even get there, I just want to say one thing quickly about, the, again, the idea of Chekhov in his diction, and this might be at the fault of the translator here, but I think it's, it's brilliant. If so, the idea is um, that life will assert her laws, which Im implies a feminine cosmos or God. So we haven't seen that anywhere else in Chekhov, and we certainly haven't seen it anywhere else up until this point. The idea that God or life could be feminine is is crazy and quasi it's sacrilegious it's anti-theistic in a lot of ways we were rejecting the father and we know from other Chekhov stories how important the father figure is in in Russian life they have the icons in the home like religion is crucial so then also in Uncle Vanya one of Chekhov's plays which we're not going to talk about here but the, he also has some really prescient, almost social justice ideas that come a hundred years before his time. There's the idea that women should be educated, treated fairly equally, paid the same, and so on. There's the idea that we shouldn't eat meat, which is incredible to come out of that, um, and so forth. But that's, again, we digress. Let's continue reading on. That night, I realized that I, too, was happy and contented. I, too, at dinner and at the hunt liked to lay down the law of life and religion and the way to manage the peasantry. I, too, used to say that science was light and culture was essential. But for simple people, reading and writing was enough for the time. Freedom is a blessing, I used to say. We can do no more without it than with air, but we must wait a little. Yes, I used to talk like that, and now I ask, for what reason are we to wait? Why wait? I asked you. What grounds have we for waiting? I shall be told it can't be done all at once. Every idea takes shape in life gradually in its due time. But who is it says that? 
Where is the proof that it's right? You'll fall back upon the natural order of things, the uniformity of the phenomenon, but is there order and uniformity to the fact that I, a living, thinking man, stand over a chasm and wait for it to close of itself or to fill up with mud at the very time when perhaps I might leap over it or build a bridge across it? And again, wait for the sake of what? Wait till there's no strength to live? And meanwhile, one must live, and one wants to live. So what's interesting here is this idea that finally contradicts a lot of other ideas within Chekhov, which is this idea that waiting around in a couple hundred years will, in fact, bring about positive change. And I want to say it's, yeah, in Three Sisters... One of the characters says, in two or, two or three hundred years' time, educated, cultured, clever people will make their way into these uninhabited, backwards, uneducated towns, and there will at, you'll at last become a majority. We will be able to know more than our fathers and grandfather knew and see more than they were able to see. And this theme appears continuously throughout Chekhov. That's just one instance. Here we see the opposite idea taking, taking place. Why wait? Why wait around? Why be content with 200, 300 years down the line, we make things better. Why wait on Freud's developments in Austria to come all the way over here to, to get rid of Ward Number 6 and make it a, a humane place? And all these considerations, not to mention, there's this looming thought of the Russian Revolution in the near future that Chekhov couldn't have been terribly aware of, but he also wasn't ignorant of. Ten years after this was published, Russian Revolution this story was almost certainly forgot about in its context. And then there's also the parallel within here. The why wait? What grounds have we to wait? I should have been told it can't be done. Every idea takes shape in life gradually in its time, which, um, let me look it up. Letter to, or letter from a Birmingham jail. If you look up by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., there's this, this idea of waiting. Like many others, we waited to see Mr. Connor defeated. Um, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet to engage in direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I've heard the word, Wait! It rings in every ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost never, or always meant never. We must come to see, with one of our distinguished jurists, that justice too long delayed is justice denied. And it continues on and on. But that is, as Dr. Lundbury pointed out, almost word for word. What grounds have we for waiting? Why wait, I ask you? I shall be told it can't be done all at once. Every idea takes shape in life gradually in its due time. That's just brilliant. Chekhov, the egalitarian, bleeding through in this last episode of Writing Time. The same character, Ivan Ivanovich, continues on with another paragraph or so about family and the problems there, and then he concludes, Ah, if I were only young. So, he goes up to Alehin and, and says, Pavel Konstantinovich, he said in an imploring voice, 
Don't be calm and contented. Don't let yourself be put to sleep. While you are young, strong, confident, be not wary and well-doing. There is no happiness, and there ought not be, but if there is a meaning and an object in life, that meaning and object is not our happiness, but something greater and more rational. Do good. So, this is incredible. It argues against the moment from the last section where no one can be happy, it's impossible, because the unhappy are are the cause of the happy people. They bear their burdens in silence, and without that silence, happiness would be misery. Here, Alehan says, or sorry, Ivan Ivanovich says to Alehan, there is no happiness. There ought not be. But he doesn't exclude the idea that there could be meaning in life, or there could be a goal in life, or there could be an object in life. He says, meaning and object is not our happiness, but something greater and more rational. Do good. Do good. Help people. Help make their suffering diminish. Go out in the world. Don't write. Go out and cure their illnesses. Go out there and, and fix their roof and grow their food and, and all those sort of things. Go, go teach. Go be a firefighter. Those sort of concerns are at the heart of, of this passage. Youth and happiness and moral action are all implicated in one unit here. We squander our youth, Chekhov seems to want to say, pursuing happiness, which doesn't exist. And the people who seem happy are in fact only preying on or building off the backs of the unhappy and their sufferings. So once we grow up, so to speak, once we shed the cloak of our youth, then we've understood this truth. It just so happens that our bodies have taken a long time to figure it out. So if we can get our bodies to figure this out now, if we can ignore happiness as a goal and not even want it to be a goal, but still hold on to meaning and, and an object of life, just instead of it being our happiness, it being doing good, or rather just being moral, taking action, then that's not a depressing reading at all. It's actually pretty optimistic. Chekhov doesn't ever dismiss that we have a need for stories, but he does always dismiss their effectiveness and the ability of the storyteller to do much. And in this story, Gooseberries, I find a really, I don't know, just a powerful indictment of our misprioritizing about happiness. So... Ah, it feels a little bit melancholy to wrap up the final episode here, but the semester has come to an end, and there's only so much more time that can be devoted to podcasting when we have final papers and more readings and conference presentations and so on to, to go about over the next couple of weeks. So I had a lot of time putting this podcast together. I didn't do with it what I wanted to do with it, it was supposed to be better edited. It was supposed to have a little more nuance. But even the audio quality isn't up to snuff. But it has been a learning experience. And I've been playing around on my computer and cutting out some of the ums and trying to reduce some of the static and just figuring out how to get back into audio recording. So 
the idea of these workbooks is not necessarily just to engage with the material, but to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and just try something new. This has been such an experiment. So, one conclusion I have from this course, writing time, is kind of all, all wrapped up in what we just read with gooseberries. This idea that we don't know what what we're doing in youth. We're seeking happiness, but then we discover in adulthood that happiness doesn't exist, only doing good for others exists. And that's the way to preserve youth, to approach happiness, is to help others. And I think that's true in, in some Beckett, too. With Vladimir and Estragon and Waiting for Godot, the idea, well, was I asleep while the others suffered? Am I sleeping now? And the idea with Crap's Last Tape that if we sit there navel-gazing with our tape recorder each birthday, 40 years is going to pass and we're going to be worse than we were before. And it goes and goes and goes. So, for one last time, I'd like to, to turn us to a passage of Stoicism that I think really helps articulate the insight that I've had from this course, which is, again, from Marcus Aurelius in his Meditations. He says, These are the characteristics of the rational soul. Self-awareness, self-examination, and self-determination. It reaps its own harvest. It succeeds in its own purpose. And I picked this one because Almost never in Beckett or Chekhov do, do we get a purely rational character. Do we get someone sincere, straightforward, uh, um, articulate, profound, aphoristic? And if we do get any of those qualities, it's always undermined somehow. Like Beckett gives a stage direction for one of his characters in Happy Days that says, rational voice, which is just, it's a joke. Chekhov in... Three Sisters gets characters like Shabutkin to philosophize, but in reality, other characters are reading the newspaper in the background, not paying attention, not listening. And so it, it undermines the whole enterprise of philosophy. It undermines what I'm doing here with this podcast, but I'd like to still cling on to these three things. The idea to maintain rationality in the Bakettian and Chekhovian sense, we have to do three things, and those are looking inward, being critical of our values, and making our own decisions uninhibited by biases of the past or the future. So that's Marcus Aurelius when he says self-awareness, self-examination, self-determination. We have to be self-aware to the extent that we can we can look in and, and hear ourselves and ask ourselves questions and get expect to get the truth next we must be we must be self-examiners we must be critical of our values we must say like chekhov does in gooseberries that happiness isn't the goal and then finally we must make our own decisions we can't predicate them on what's in the past like crap and we can't 
wait for the future for Godot like million happy days. As cliche as it is, as much as it brings out the inner cringe in me, the idea is, is true. All we have is now. And when thinking about writing time, we've spent this whole semester looking at writings of the past and the future, of memory, of hope. What is now? What? How can we write now? How can we write time in a way that's present? Is it journalism? I doubt it. Is it contemporary fiction? Is it nonfiction? I don't know. But in any case, it seems like a worthwhile question to ask, and it seems like one that isn't necessarily answerable. Or if it is answered, then it automatically becomes in the past. And so we have to ask the question again and answer it again now and keep asking ourselves that question. Well, this has been really fun. And if time allows over the summer, maybe I will go back and, and give a little more in-depth. Maybe I will expand the scope and, and make writing time, not just Beckett and Chekhov, as this course directed me to do, but increase the scope and see where else it takes me. So, perhaps, until next time, and if not, thank you for coming along all 10 of these episodes. Stay curious.